you're with us this morning, and uh, you probably think that I am going to preach, but actually what we're going to do is I'm going to get our high school fuel crew up, and they're going to preach this morning. Joke? Joke? Or serious? You don't know. You don't know. On Friday night, so the story is the last, uh, the last three weeks at our youth group, uh, our high school crew has gone through the Global Church Workshop, and it was fantastic. And I think they're going to run it again in, in Fredericton in March. I would encourage you to get out to that. We'll, uh, we'll put out the information so you can go to that, Tyler and Christiane Horton. But they walked our high school and some university students uh, through and Mark, who pretended to be in both of those categories. Uh, but uh, they walked us through an introduction to the global church, and it was great. And then on Friday night, after we had done the course the last few weeks, uh, we sat down and our high school crew arrived, and I said, great, did you like the global church course? Yes. And I said, well, you've got 45 minutes to prepare a talk uh, to present what you learned about the global church to the middle schoolers downstairs. And they said, ha ha. And then we just sat there in silence for a few seconds. And then they said, you're joking. And I said, no. And they said, yes, you are joking. And I said, no, and now you have 43 minutes. <laughs> and anyway, so they, we started going, we started talking, we started batting around ideas. And then at 8 o'clock, I think they put together probably the greatest 10-minute presentation of the global church in the history of youth group, in my personal opinion. It was amazing. It was amazing. I think you should give them a round of applause. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, maybe they will present it someday. But uh, it put a lot of pressure on me this morning to really step up my game because they're gunning for my job, I think. So, all right. I am joking, Micah. You can rest easy now. Rest easy, Izzy. It's all, all good. Okay, so go ahead and open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and uh, if you remember a few weeks ago, uh, we looked at this chapter, and uh, Paul is addressing a difficult situation in the Corinth church, and uh, we drew some things out of that as it applies to conflict resolution, and we gave it the title of How to Fight in Church, because conflict resolution sounds boring, and that sounds more exciting. And so this week, uh, we, we didn't end... Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, we kind of left it a bit short, and so this morning we're going to go back to that and look at the rest of chapter 10, and so it's how to fight in church round two, okay? So let's pray, and then uh, we'll read Second Corinthians chapter 10, and then we'll jump in. So Father, uh, we're so thankful already the ways that you've been speaking to us, the ways that you've been encouraging us. We're so thankful for the privilege of gathering together as your church and praising your name, and gathering to your presence. And we just pray now as we come to your word uh, that your spirit would give us understanding, your spirit would help us to apply your word. We want to be changed by your word. And so we pray, Father, that you would come, you would meet with us now, you would open our eyes that we could behold the wonderful things contained in your word. And we pray, Father, that you would, by your spirit, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand what you want to say to us this morning in Jesus name. Amen. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 
And I've got all the verses on the screen this morning. Okay. Uh, it says, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away, I beg of you that when I am present I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding." But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labor of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you, without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. All right, there's a lot in there, and some of it's a bit confusing. Uh, but if you, didn't, if you missed the first, the first one, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that. Uh, but our focus, we're not going to cover each verse in the chapter, and our focus is is on this conflict uh, that's between Paul and the Corinthians. So Paul addresses some other things in there, uh, but that's our focus for this morning. So before we even talk about conflict being resolved, it would be good to get a bit of an understanding on what we mean by conflict. We didn't really do that last time. I just kind of spoke of conflict in general, uh, but it would be good to put an anchor down this morning so we are at least on the same page uh, with what we're what we're talking about. So in his book, uh, The Peacemaker, A Biblical Guide to Resolving Personal Conflict, uh, which is one of the recognized as one of the best books on the topic, uh, the author Ken Sandy defines conflict this way. Conflict happens when you are at odds with another person over what you think, want, or do. Conflict happens when you are at odds with another person over what you think, want or do now maybe you say well that's a pretty general uh, definition of conflict i would say that that's maybe just a disagreement that's not really a conflict uh, which is which is fine it works out really well for me because we can just agree to disagree and then we're not in conflict right but that's how the definition that he goes with and that's kind of the definition that i'm 
working off of. That conflict happens when you are at odds with another person over what you think, want, or do. So maybe you might see conflict as kind of a next level after disagreement, at least in my house, uh, that they are very close. Uh, disagreement, if you have been married for any amount of time or have kids for any amount of time, you know that a disagreement is really just one eye roll away from full-blown conflict, <laughs> right? And so this morning, we'll just lump them together. Uh, if you differentiate the two, uh, they're very close. And so this morning, we'll put them together. Conflict happens when you are at odds with another person over what you think, want, or do. And I think it's important to state that with that definition of conflict, we can say that conflict is natural, different people uh, think differently, do things differently, have different expectations, and so we should see conflict as a natural part of life, even a natural part of church life. And also, uh, that conflict isn't necessarily sinful. And sure, conflict can arise because one or more people are thinking or wanting or doing things that are sinful, uh, but also we can both want good things and find that those good things are at odds with one another and find ourselves in conflict. And so maybe a good church example from 20 years ago was the whole, I think we should just sing hymns, I think we should just sing contemporary songs. There are two good things, but they're at odds, and then conflict arose. So the conflict itself isn't necessarily sinful, but often what makes conflict sinful is our selfishness and our pride begins to be poured on that conflict. And time and time again, we've seen simple little things become huge, damaging conflict. Have you seen that in your own life? Simple thing, the, the conflict itself isn't necessarily sinful, but here comes our pride, here comes our selfishness, and then we are in a full-blown conflict. So, Mark thinks coffee should be served before the meeting. I think coffee should be served after the meeting. This is just hypothetical, by the way. Mark and I are not fighting about coffee. <laughs> or anything else. Hey! Two good things. There's nothing sinful about wanting coffee before the meeting. There's nothing sinful about wanting coffee after the meeting. But now we're at odds. What I think, want, or do is at odds with what Mark think, want, thinks, wants, or does. And so now we find ourselves in conflict. And how many times do we see simple little scenarios like that where we find ourselves at odds and then here comes my pride, here comes my selfishness, and then all of a sudden what was just a little spark of conflict is now a fire. Have you seen that in your own life? Maybe you've seen it in your marriage. Maybe you've seen it in stressful work situations, uh, wherever it might be. It's like that spark that begins the conflict is very simply that people are different and often want different things. You and I are different. We want different things. And so we get a spark of conflict. And then unfortunately, many times that spark of conflict is then fueled with like the gasoline of pride, the gasoline of selfishness. And then very quickly, we find ourselves in a raging fire of conflict. Does that make sense? All right. So when we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 
it's evident that we're well beyond a spark of conflict. The Corinthians had begun listening to some new teachers. Their eyes began drifting over to some apostles away from Paul, apostles with a bit, bit more flash and splash than Paul. And Paul looked to address it. And then the Corinthians took that big old jerry can of pride and selfishness and they just dumped it all over on that spark of conflict. And they attacked Paul's character. They said he's two-faced. He isn't walking in the spirit. They attacked his ministry. He's unimpressive. He's always suffering and struggling. And it just comes with this attitude of who do you think you are, Paul? And so we find ourselves in the midst of a raging fire of conflict here in chapter 10. And as we said last time, Paul knows that it's much more than just about him having his ego bruised uh, of their rejection of him. Uh, there are mixed up values that some of these Corinthians were carrying along with their rejection of him as an apostle uh, meant that the gospel was at stake and their very uh, own salvation as well. And so because of his love for them, Paul wants to address this head on. He wants to address it head on. And I think one thing you see when you read Paul's letters is just how much he values the unity of the church. How much he values the unity of the church. Where we can be sometimes so content to just let division sit there, uh, not deal with things, carry on in disunity. Paul almost violently pursues unity in the church. And 2 Corinthians 10 is a great example. These people have said, awful, awful things about Paul. They're causing trouble. They're stirring things up. And Paul here in 2 Corinthians 10 is saying, let's, let's get this settled. Let's address this now. And as I have been spending time studying this chapter, that's really the, the, the big thing that's just hit me overall is just Paul's heart for unity in the church. So a few weeks ago, uh, we looked at uh, this, from this specific situation of Paul and the Corinthians, we saw some general principles that Paul uses with them uh, that we can then apply, I believe, to our own conflicts uh, we might have in our own lives. We looked at two of those principles last time. We looked at our attitude that we should be eager to be... Anyone? No? Gentle? There we go. I'll fill in the blank for you. And ready to be... Bold. There we go. That should be our, our overall uh, attitude when we approach conflict. We see at the first, Paul says he's entreating them by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. But then he also makes it really clear that he's more than ready to be bold and address these situations. And so we too uh, need to approach our conflict with, these, with that first impulse gentleness and, and also a readiness to be bold if the situation requires it. And so a good question to ask is how many of our conflicts would be settled and how much hurt and pain would be avoided if we lived with that first impulse gentleness? And how many situations have we lacked the courage necessary to point someone back to truth and actually bring that confrontation to see a situation resolved? So we looked at our attitude, we also looked at our ammo, what our ammo should be in conflict. What are we using to fight with? And Paul says, although we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. 
for the weapons of our warfare are not according to the flesh, but have divine power. And so our weapons shouldn't be the weapons the world uses in conflict, like cunning, deception, threats, manipulation, guilt, all those things. They are devoid of divine power. Instead, in the power of the Spirit, we're to wield the weapon of the gospel. What we need most in our conflicts is the rescuing grace of God, grace that has the power to shape everything we do as a church, including conflict resolution. We need to declare the truths of the gospel to ourselves and those that we are in conflict with and not resort to using the world's weapons to win our battles. So, that brings us up to the end of verse 4. And so this morning, we're going to look at two more of those principles uh, for how to approach conflict in the church. We've seen our attitude and our ammo, and now in verse 5 and on, we're going to see what our aim should be, and then also uh, look at our approval. Okay? So, sorry they're all A's. Can't help it. All right. So what is our goal in seeking conflict resolution? If we're honest, I think the first thing when I say, what is your goal in conflict resolution? If you're anything like me, the first thing that pops in your head is to win. Right? So we could maybe, you know, make it a bit more uh, stomachable. Is that a word? I don't know. Uh, and say that our goal in conflict resolution is to resolve the conflict and have peace. But really that first thing that pops into your head is, is for that person, for the situation to be resolved by that person coming around to our point of view and us winning, right? And that's, uh, and if you're just going to leave me hanging all by myself like that, then that's fine. But I think that's the first thing that kind of comes in our head is what is our goal in conflict resolution? It's to win. There, I got some agreement. I thought we were going back to the gun at your head in basketball point of view. <laughs> That's a long story. Anyway. But as we read 2 Corinthians 10, we see that Paul's aim is much, much bigger than that. Paul's aim is much bigger than just, it's, it's definitely not just winning, and it's not just seeing the conflict resolved and seeing peace. His aim is much bigger than that. And I think his aim is in, you know, we can kind of categorize it in two things. His aim is deeper and wider than what ours generally is. So first, his aim in conflict resolution is deeper. Look at what he says in verses 4 and 5. He says, uh, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God Take every thought captive to obey Christ. And then look down in verse 8. He says, The Lord gave him this authority for building you up and not for destroying you. And so Paul is saying that our first aim in dealing with conflict is to tear down strongholds and build up people. So he's, he's trying to settle this between him and the Corinthians. And he, he lets them know that there are strongholds that need to be torn down. But then he also makes it clear to them that his goal here is to see them built up. So verses 4 and 5 can be a bit of a, 
they can be quoted quite a bit, but it's a bit of a challenging passage. And I think what, what Paul is telling the Corinthians here is that these, these people, this group that is rebelling against Paul, they don't just have opinions about Paul. They haven't just been spreading rumors about Paul. Their condition is much more serious. They have strongholds in their minds, ideas and arguments and philosophies and excuses that are opposed to the kingdom and the glory of God. And the only thing that can get at the root of those problems and bring down those strongholds and renew our minds is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The conflict might be external, but the problem is internal. So Paul's saying there's a lot more going on here than just you don't like me and you've been spreading rumors about me. He's pointing them back to strongholds in their thinking. It's an internal problem and not only internal but these strongholds have a supernatural element as well the strongholds might be in our mind in our thinking but who is behind these thoughts in the next chapter in in 11 3 he says he's concerned that satan has ensnared the corinthians and that they are being deceived just like eve was in the garden and so we cannot ignore that whenever we enter conflict the problem is much more than just the issue in front of us. There are internal things at play and there are supernatural things at work to get us to that point. And those things need to be addressed. And Paul calls those things strongholds. Things that, ways of thinking, uh, I would say enemy-influenced ways of thinking that are setting themselves up against the knowledge and the glory, the kingdom of God. And so this crew in Corinth opposing Paul, they need to see just how serious their problem is. And because the problem is powerful, Paul is bringing powerful weapons to the fight. And he knows that just surface level resolution isn't enough. He wants to go deeper and he wants to see these strongholds fall and freedom come to the Corinthians. Uh, which is interesting because so often I think our conflicts can kind of serve as a window to strongholds that may be in our lives. And so ways of thinking that set themselves up against God's kingdom. So, for instance, maybe you notice that a lot of your conflict with people revolves around finances. Maybe a lot of your fights at home about money. You're into it at work, it's around money. You're upset about the church spending money here and there, and you notice, oh, there's a similar theme with every time I have a conflict, it's all around this issue. It may be that that conflict then is serving as a window that you've got a stronghold about money in your thinking. And so it's not enough to just look around and resolve those individuals, individual issues it could be that that stronghold around money needs to come down as well. And you can, be, you can experience that liberating grace of God. So conflict like this, Paul's saying, we've got a conflict between you and me, but I think there's some things at play here that are feeding this conflict. There are strongholds in your way of thinking, and those are the things that I want to deal with. It's not enough for Paul just for them to come to peace about 
these, this particular issue. He wants to see the Corinthians free from that way of thinking. So in the summer, the kids play a lot on our front lawn, and it gets padded down quite a bit. Uh, with the small herd that we have, they can do quite a number on our lawn, and it all gets trampled down and turned up. And uh, a few years ago, a couple years ago, I think we went to the Laver's pig farm, and as I stood looking over the fence at the way the, the pigs had just ravaged the field, I, it just felt like home. <laughs> um, but, <clears throat> but the part that's not ripped up, uh, where there is some life, it is full of dandelions, right? And so I can go out and I can mow those dandelions off, and if the sun is shining just right, the lawn doesn't look too bad, right? My neighbor uh, is at a different stage of life than I am, <laughs> and uh, he takes the time to go out with this stick thing and a bucket, and he rips those suckers out by the roots, and he, that's the way he takes care of his dandelions. Now, as we both sit in our picture window in the evening across from each other, looking at our lawn, they are both free from dandelions, right? But I think the next morning when I wake up, <laughs> it is full of dandelions, again, new dandelions, and I think the old ones pick themselves up and replant themselves <laughs> as some sort of zombie flowers back in to the lawn. It is true. Can I get an amen? Yes. Well, now, now, now that's a different illustration <laughs> that we are not, it doesn't fit my illustration right now. But what happens in a short amount of time, my weeds are all back. And my neighbor Fred, his lawn is still green and beautiful and weed free. And so in the same way, we may resolve present conflicts and things might look bit, uh, good for a bit, but without the stronghold being dealt with, guess what's going to happen in the next month, the next week? We're going to experience those same conflicts. It might be with the same person, but that, that stronghold is feeding those conflicts. And so I might resolve the conflict between Joe and I, but because of that stronghold in my heart, well... Mark and I are going to have a conversation and all of a sudden we're going to be in conflict about that same issue. And so Paul wants to not just deal with conflicts on a surface level. He wants to dig in deep and deal with the stronghold that may be there feeding that conflict. So in our conflicts, we need to realize that more often than not, there is much more at play than just I disagree with that person. So often they reveal strongholds in our lives and others and strongholds that we should work to tear down. And what I love about what Paul says to the Corinthians is he's very strong when he's talking about the strongholds. He uses like military language. He wants to tear things down, destroy. He's talking about taking thoughts captive. It's an intense picture. But then he says to the Corinthians, in verse 7, hey, we're all Christ's here. He brings in kind of a family aspect to it in verse 7. We're all Christ's, and we may be in conflict, but we both belong to Christ. And it's out of that kind of family perspective in verse 8 that he says that his desire is not to destroy them, but to build them up. 
So in this intense conflict with these rebellious Corinthians, Paul's aim is to tear down the strongholds and build up the people. And for me, I just love that picture because so often I think we approach conflict with almost the opposite approach. And we use our words and our actions to tear the person down. And in doing so, we either ignore the strongholds in their lives and ours, or even worse, by tearing the person down, we're just reinforcing and strengthening the stronghold in their life. But Paul is like, no, we tear down strongholds, we build up people. And so my desire in conflict resolution is to not only see peace brought to the situation between you and me, but my aim is to see you built up in faith, built up in joy, free from the crippling strongholds, and becoming more and more like the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. And so I think it's just a beautiful picture that Paul uh, is telling the Corinthians here. He's intense, he's It's like a military general towards the strongholds. We're going in. We're going to tear those things down. We're going to take thoughts captive. And then he says, but I use my authority to build you up and not to destroy you. So along with asking questions like, are there strongholds here that need to be torn down when we find ourselves in conflict? We should also ask, what can I say or do here to see this person built up are there strongholds that need to come down and what can i do in this situation not just to win an argument not just to have peace but what can i do in this situation to build that person up so that they become more like the prince of peace jesus christ that's the deep aim that paul has in this conflict and his aim is also much wider than ours look at what he says in verse 15 and 16 he says we do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others but our hope is that as your faith increases our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you so paul's aim in getting this sorted uh, definitely isn't just to smooth things over he wants to go deeper he wants to see strongholds destroyed the corinthians build up But he has a wider aim as well than just the Corinthians and himself, which is to see the kingdom of God advance, the gospel go out, and many more come to Christ. And this, really, when I was going through this, this just kind of shakes my mind up a bit and shows me how far off I can be in approaching conflict. How different my way of thinking is from Paul's on these issues these people are in great conflict with paul like i don't think we can stress that enough the things they have been saying about him the actions they've taken he's he planted the church he stayed with them for a year in growing them up in maturity teaching them giving his life for them and then they just say you just operate by the flesh you're just in it your own flesh uh, your own selfish desires you're two-faced we can't believe a word you say and all these things, and you think about how hurtful that would be for Paul. If you've ever really given your life to someone and, and tried to disciple them, and then to have that person 
almost turn on you and just throw that all aside and say some very hurtful things. The love that you have for them only works to amplify the hurt by the words that they say. So these people are in great conflict with Paul. It's intense. Much more intense than probably anything that any of us are going through uh, as far as conflict resolution in the church. We get riled up about when the coffee should be served and how long kids should be in worship. And these people were slamming Paul and slamming his character and slamming his ministry and everything that he was about. It's intense conflict, and as part of working it out, Paul says that his hope is that their faith would increase so that they could influence more people in Corinth with the gospel and unreached people beyond Corinth can hear and receive the gospel as well. So even in conflict resolution, Paul doesn't lose sight of the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations. Perhaps because he realized that it's all connected it's all connected paul wants to see this situation in corinth resolved because his eyes are on lands beyond corinth his eyes are on the nations and so we need to see just how connected mission and unity are we need to see just how much our little conflicts amongst ourselves affect our primary mission of taking the gospel to the other side of the street and to the other side of the world. And really, by staying focused on our mission is where we find the unity that ties us together in a very real and practical way. By staying focused on our mission is where we find the unity that ties us together in a very real and practical way. In his book, The Pursuit of God, A.W. Tozer says this. It's a great, a great picture that shows just what I've been saying. He says, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos, all tuned to the same fork, are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers met together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other. And so when we share a common commitment to mission, our personal differences become much less important, don't they? as we keep our mission in front of us, as we remind ourselves of the world around us that is in desperate need of some good news. Well, suddenly, when we serve the coffee, doesn't seem that big of a deal. We fix our eyes on the mission. As we fix our eyes on the mission, then we find unity. Because the things that want to fight against our unity just don't seem that big compared to what's in front of us. And I'm convinced that the more we lose sight of our mission 
as a church, the more conflicts we see arise. The more a church loses sight of its mission that God has given us, the more we see conflicts arise. All right, we've seen our attitude, our ammo, our aim in conflict resolution. And as we wrap up, I think we just need to be reminded of our approval. And just that last sentence that Paul says at the end of 2 Corinthians 10, he says, For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. And so not every conflict will be resolved. You can control your actions and your responses, but you can't control the other person. And maybe through conflict, you see your own error and you repent and you ask for forgiveness and they refuse to. And maybe they stick to their guns and refuse to admit any wrongdoing on their part, refuse to listen to truth or scripture or work through it in any way. And that's why Paul says in another place that as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. But ultimately what matters is God's approval. And that's what Paul brings us back to at the very end of the chapter. It is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends who is approved. So ultimately we can look to do the hard and sometimes scary work of conflict resolution because we've been approved by God. We've been approved by God. And so we stand in Christ. His righteousness is ours. We are hidden in Christ. We are loved by the Father with the same love that He has for the Son. We are accepted. We're approved in Jesus. We've received His approval. And so we can risk sticking our necks out to admit faults, to ask for forgiveness, to address situations, to speak truth, even though it might be awkward, even though it might be intimidating, even though it might be tense, even though it might all be thrown back in our face, even though bringing it up might come with a cost, even though we might know that attempting to address the situation might bring us loss in different areas of our life. Even with all that, we can risk doing it. We can still move forward, pursue resolution because we've been approved by Christ. We've been approved by Christ. And we know that if tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and sword cannot separate us from the love of Christ, then neither can conflict. And we've been approved by Christ and so we can move forward to address the situation. All right, the band can come back up. And so we come to the end and we should ask ourselves the question, what, what do we need to do then in light of this? What do we need to do in light of this? We've looked at conflict resolution. We've looked at how... Paul dealt with his situation with the Corinthians. I guess a few things. Maybe it's become clear this morning that 
yes, you are in the midst of a present conflict, but as the Holy Spirit's been working on your heart, you realize that there might be some strongholds that need to come down. That, yeah, the conflict needs to be resolved, but also there's some strongholds that need to be dissolved this morning by His Spirit, by the grace of God in your heart. Maybe we need to confess that our words have been more in line with tearing people down than building people up. Maybe we just need to confess that and we just want the same heart that Paul had. We don't want to use any authority that's been given to us for tearing people down. We want to use any power, any authority that we have in our words and our actions to build people up. We need a realignment of our focus that we want to see strongholds come down and we want to see our brothers and sisters built up in Christ. Maybe... There's people in the room where you need to at least begin the process of making things right. Even maybe this morning so that the church can move forward at full strength in our God-given mission to reach the city. There's no better time like the present. We'll all be singing and you can just make your way over and say, look, we've got to get this settled. I've had some things in my heart against you. I've got to get them out. We've got to get this resolved because I realize now that our disunity is affecting the mission of this church. Maybe there's nothing. Hallelujah. But if there is, then let's deal with it. Let's deal with it. When you read Acts, I think the early church that we read about in Acts has a lot of characteristics that we can value and model and pray for. We see explosive evangelism. We see signs and wonders. But you also see an incredible unity amongst the church. And we read in Acts 4.32, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And so it's a stunning picture of a diverse group of people living in beautiful unity together and that's the unity that we have it's a unity that is bought for us by the blood of jesus it's a unity that's empowered by the holy spirit and it's a unity that paul says in ephesians 4 that we should be eager to maintain that we should be eager to maintain why don't we stand up and beth and the team are going to lead us in this last song and i've just asked her to do the one that we did at the at the first because I when we sang it I just thought well that's that's the whole message that's the whole point when we think of conflict resolution the whole thing is open my eyes and wonder show me who you are as I as I get that vision of who you are as I get that vision of how I've been reconciled through Jesus and we say fill me with your heart that same heart that you have where you went to great lengths to tear down the wall between you and me, that you didn't just stop short. You risked it all, your own life, to bring that reconciliation. Fill me with your heart. And then it says, and then lead me in love to those around me. And so I think that's, that's all that I've been saying. You, if you forget everything else, 
It's conflict resolution. Open my eyes that I may see who you are. Fill me with your heart. And now lead me to that person in love. Father, I just pray that you would do a great work in our heart this morning. Um, we love your word. We love the way that it encourages us. We also love the way that it challenges us. And we see how precious the unity of the church is to you. And so, Father, we just pray that you would come by your spirit. And if there's anything between us, if there's bitterness, if there's resentment, if there's unforgiveness, anything, that spark of conflict, that, and then the fire of conflict, Father, we don't want any of it. We want to be united. We want to be, as that description of the early church was, we want to be united and have one heart and one mind and having all things in common. So we just pray. You did it then by your Spirit. We pray do it this morning by your Spirit as well. In Jesus' name, amen.